Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. The best of 1983. Listeners, can you hear us? Listeners, are you there? Listeners, are you still enjoying the show? Welcome to the Gilded Films Podcast. We're talking about the year that was 1983. And Barbara Streisand's probably going to sue us for me using the melody. Insert applause here. Okay. Well, hello. Thank you. We are back. I'm Christian. Hello, Brett. Hello, hello. We are talking about the films of 1983. We've already covered the um, Academy Award nominated films and winner Terms of Endearment in our last episode. So if you're sticking with us, this is uh, probably our favorite one here too, because we get to talk about some that were not nominated for Oscars necessarily, some that were, and then a whole plethora, and I mean plethora, of uh, honorable and dishonorable mentions. So we got a lot going. We'll start here in a little bit, but uh, as you know, Brett and Christian are here, and welcome the one, the only, Yentl themselves, it's Zay. Hello. This podcast is a maniac, maniac, (laughs) maniac. I wish we really, really had like a category of song because I like to discuss song winners with you. Oh, that would be interesting. Right. Because I have, I don't know, I've been going back and forth for a couple of different things, but, you know. I don't know. Maniac's a pretty good song. It is. I don't know if it's an original song, though. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's the better song from that movie, to be honest. I think it was nominated, too. It might have been. Because it was only... Because those two were nominated. And because Dolly Parton should have won back in 1980. Because mm. I don't think fame is that good of a song, at least compared to 9 to 5. It's not at all. But anyway, that's always the Oscar horse I'll die on. The Oscar what? The Oscar horse. That's it? Just that? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. That, that's the big Judy, one. <laughs> Judy Garland's drag. <laughs> Damn, but we'll talk about some other time. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see who's going first, actually. Oh, okay. Brett, do you want me to segue? Sure. Before we do that, I just want to say this is kind of a cool situation we've got here because all three of us picked one film that was not nominated for a single Oscar. A little spoiler alert. But we also each picked another film that very easily could have been a Best Picture nominee. So... I don't know if we've done that before. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, now go ahead. We'll play one I was on. (laughs) Usually I get the 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 deep cuts. The one like your first one here. Mm -hmm. This is me literally just trying to pick a movie that I was like, oh, I own this. I need to watch this. But anyway, we're gonna talk about one, first of all. Zay is gonna take it away that I had never heard of, and maybe you haven't heard of before, but Zay has because. They picked it. So take it away with our first one for our 
six that we're talking about. Here you go. Our first film we'll be discussing is the film Born in Flames, directed by Lizzie Borden. So it's kind of, it's a film that's like filmed in documentary style. And um, it's basically two feminist groups in New York City, each talking about their concerns through pirate radio. Um, and basically it's like a kind of a sci-fi kind of concept, but not really like, it's not like high concept sci-fi, but it's definitely like an alternative universe where it's something like, um, hold on. It's basically like talking about how there's a new law put into place saying everyone will be given jobs, but then they're talking about, well, women are given the correct, like the good jobs. Black people aren't given the good jobs. Um, and then it's just, it's a lot of rioting. There's a lot of conspiracy. Um, basically, I think it's an interesting film that basically because of its documentary style, if you were not aware of like certain politics at the time, you could believe it was a documentary. Um, and the fact that a majority of the people in it aren't actual like actors, or at least they weren't at the time, uh, given, and there was like one famous person in there that we'll get to in a second. Um, I just think it's a, it's very much one of those, um, well, it's, I think it's filmed in the documentary style because it's a very low budget film. Um, Lizzie Borden never worked in like the studio system or anything like that. Um, Cause I think this is like her most famous movie. Um, uh, and yeah, I lost my track of thought. Um, it's very much a movie where it's like a lot of people are just like making long speeches about what they're angry about. It's a very angry movie. I mean, it's called Born in Flames and a lot of like punk music it's a, this I think it's like the same song keeps playing through it's a good song uh, I think it's the titular yeah um and like the future sorry I am I'm here I'm trying um but yeah it's and it's like based on like thinking about racism in America, misogyny in America, homophobia in America. And yeah, it's just a very interesting movie. It's not even long, it's like less than 90 minutes. I have watched on Canopy. Um, also has one of the rare acting performances by Oscar winner in the future, Catherine Bigelow. Your favorite director. My favorite director. <laughs> From your favorite Oscar-winning film. <laughs> For the audience, I, I don't like Catherine Bigelow, and I'm, I really wish she wasn't... Well, now she's not the only woman director to win an Oscar, thank God. So there's that. I'll say my thoughts because they're my thoughts are kind of brief because I did not know what this was going to be going into it. The posters sort of led me to think it was going to be like super futuristic and kind of like that 1970s vibe where everybody's dressed up in, you know, um, pretty uniform uniforms. And it wasn't it was like a documentary style, like we've been saying. So I think that threw me for a loop where I didn't 
don't think I, I don't, I didn't, well, can't say I hated it. I didn't like it because I also think I didn't understand it. Um, but with that being said, it's like a movie has to start out with me actually like getting grasped into it before I like, before I can really determine, I think that I like it, that I'm going to go into it, liking it and me like being thrown off. That's like, Oh wait, this is like documentary style, but this is definitely a narrative, but it's like, it's not a very tight plot. It's there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of words being said. That's like way over my head. I'm not that, you know, I'm not that educated when it comes to, how would you say, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like cultural movements and political prowess. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it was fine. If this was like, if you would have told me straight up, this was a documentary, I would have been like, okay, interesting. Cause nothing in this threw me to like, oh, this is like the future. This is a different different world than our own right now so but those are my brief thoughts yeah i'm probably somewhere in the middle here um i really like the documentary style um and and like you said zay even if it is because it is low budget i i like the way it's used um i think it gives a sense of realness to it that is like okay this is like a a futuristic maybe not futuristic is the right term but it is kind of a science fiction type plot that could also like you could see this occurring um because in some ways it does um i really like obviously the messages that it has I, I think there's a lot of passion behind it um coming from borden which i i like when you can feel that coming from a director uh, brief side note, Lizzie Borden has one of the most interesting Wikipedia entries I've ever seen, just because it says Lizzie Borden, born 1950 or 1958. <laughs> it was like an eight-year gap where this person could have been born. We don't really know. Um, but anyway. Um, you also say she took an axe by any chance? <laughs> Not going to lie, that also threw me off because I'm like, is that her? Is that the real name going on here? I mean, she, she, she named herself. Because her name's actually Linda. Yeah, yeah. But at the age of 11, she changed her name. Um, where I did struggle a little bit was I really liked the documentary style. I felt like sometimes it was like it didn't stick. Like there were some shots where it was shot like it was trying not to be that documentary style. Like the scene in the, the cafe, I was like, oh, this is shot like it would be like a normal conversation. But now that you say, like, I don't know, you bring up a good point with, like, how much did the low budget have play into why it has a documentary style? So that's not as big a concern as to me. The other thing that I found a little bit difficult with it was that I, it, it felt like I was, like, I had trouble latching on to a protagonist or a few protagonists throughout. Because um, the way it's presented... I did not realize that these two radio hosts, um, is it Honey and Isabel? Is that the two? Mm -hmm. um, I thought they were going to be kind of like side narrators that come in every now and then and provide some like a side narrative. Come to show at the end, they end up being like real big protagonists in the movie. And so I, I think what I wanted was a little bit more attachment to them along the way. Because I really thought it was going to be like, Adelaide Norris, uh, the character who's the real like on the ground activist, like setting up this movement. Um, and in a way, she, 
know, she kind of is too, but just, I wish there was a little bit more connection to those characters. Um, and honestly, I wish the film could have been longer. And I, I don't know, once again, if that's a budgetary thing, you know, if that's something that was a difficulty in, in making such a low budget film, uh, but maybe even like just more background on how this new law came into place and where this all came from, because it kind of jumps right in and it was a little bit jarring in that way. But overall, I think it's a really fascinating movie. I, I think it's obviously one that I had never heard of and probably would not have heard of if you hadn't picked it. Um, but I could see in, in some ways where it could be really influential um, to artists, filmmakers or otherwise. So that's kind of cool, too. I also like the punk music, the, the, just the, the presence of punk music is kind of cool. So. Well, I think that's another thing of like, it's definitely has a punk um, part to it. Like, I think that's like, I think she very much wanted to make a punk style movie so that I think that in that way, that's why we don't have like an establishment of protagonists. That's I fair. think it also says to how documentary filmmaking was back then, that documentaries were a lot of just footage it wasn't really people like, you know, you know how talking heads is the norm now. So I think it's like, yeah, but you both make good points because I even have trouble like describing the plot because I'm like, it is just like a little, it's a, it's, it's a bit scattered, but it's definitely a movie that I really liked the first time I saw it now. And I've seen it now the second time and I've really come to appreciate like all the different facets of what it's trying to say. I was super interested while you both were talking about like who Lizzie Borden is. Um, her last film, I guess, was in 94. I mean, Zay, you probably know this, but her last film looks like it was like a 94. But she is very actually active on Twitter um, at Lizzie Borden LA. She, I mean, she just retweets a lot of stuff. She thanks a lot of people. I guess Born in Flames was shown at the New York uh, Museum of the City of New York a few weeks ago. Yeah for like a discussion piece um, for Women's History Month. So, but it, and she had some trouble, I guess, with Weinstein, mm. um, which is why she thought her career kind of went not where it should have. Because honestly, reading up on what her other movies was, um, something called Working Girls, it sounds very interesting. I'm very interested. Working Girls it. was added to the Criterion Collection. Oh, nice. I watched it and it's, it's pretty good because she got very interested in sex workers while working with them on this movie. Now, is it full on documentary or is it like this? Um, no, it's 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 less documentary like. It's definitely in, it's filmed very interestingly, but it's it doesn't have the same documentary feel to it. It's more of a narrative. I also see that Borden was invited to become a member of the Academy last year, so that's cool. According to Wikipedia, that is hopefully that's true. According to Wikipedia, though, she has those eight-year gaps. Yeah, that's true. We, we don't know. 1950 or 1958. But... I think that just adds to this great mythos of her. <laughs> yes. But yeah, Born in Flame, and obviously, I if, if you couldn't tell, this is one that did not get any Oscar noms. Um, we're not expected to, but... And who knows if it even came, like, outside of festivals in 1983 yeah exactly exactly um but very much worth checking out i, I think it's a really fascinating movie 
Um, and I think it's it's just a mainstay on Canopy because I'm pretty sure it was on there the first time I watched it. That makes sense. Perfect. Any final thoughts on Born in Flames before we go on to our next film? If you thought that was futuristic, wait till you get the futuristic ride of the century here. Yes, jumping into the future. Uh, no. So our next one is one that was pretty significant, I, I think, for just Oscar history with the number of Oscars that won for an international feature. It is Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander. Um, and so this is the story. Fanny and Alexander, the, the titular characters, are um, a sister and a brother. It's really interesting, though. Like, Fanny's a pretty minor character in the movie. It's much more about Alexander. Um, and as I imagine, as I was watching, I did read this was pretty, like, semi-autobiographical for Bergman, which makes sense. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, but um, Alexander, he lives with his family. Um, his father runs a, um, a theater, in, a small theater in Sweden. This is like 1907, it's the early 1900s, so um, takes place at that time. And they're a very eccentric family. They all kind of gather in this big house. It's largely the father's side of the family and all of his strange brothers um and his mom and of course um the mother of fanny and alexander and so they're living there with their parents um and things kind of take a giant change when their father dies unexpectedly of a stroke um and so from there their mother marries a bishop who turns out to be not a good guy um so a lot of the film is basically them coming to terms with that and trying to deal with that. He's very abusive, especially to Alexander. Um, Alexander has, has been caught lying at school and um, he has these stories about ghosts that he saw, which is not very clear whether that's something that actually happened or not. Um, but he punishes Alexander in very abusive ways physically for that. And so... A lot of it is it them trying to separate from him. And it just kind of takes an interesting route to dissect that in a way that focuses on the reality of it all, but also kind of gets into more fantastical elements, especially with ghosts. Um, you know, the ghost of their father, the ghost of the bishop's previous wife and children, and how they kind of factor into this narrative and the different eccentric people who come along the way. Um, it's really the best way I can describe this movie. It is... Um, it is three hours. And so it, it's kind of broken up. The first hour plus of this movie is just trying. It's like getting to know the family that they come from. Honestly, that was my least favorite part of the movie. Um, the first hour I was, it was fine. It was good. I was just not, I'm like, I don't really know why I need to know these people. Like I really want to get to know Alexander more and his mom more. And when we finally get to that, I'm like, why weren't we focusing on them the whole time? I really, I think you could display that there's a strong family dynamic there without showing the different things going on with these uncles and aunts and whatever's going on. So that was a little bit tedious to me. But once we get into the stuff with the bishop, I found it really, um, really fantastic and um, really interesting. And it really drew me in. 
uh, to what these characters go through and how they go along with that. Uh, but most of all, I think it features a really, really strong ensemble. Um, I think kid who plays Alexander is very good. I think, you know, the woman who plays his mother, who plays his grandmother is fantastic. Um, his father and the bishop, all of those actors, um, I'll have to go through their names at some point because they're all like Swedish names that I can't pronounce, but you might see them pop up later. Um, but they're all fantastic. I think the cast is excellent. And I think that's the real strength of this movie, um, along with some of the technical aspects. The production design is fantastic. The costumes are great. Um, and I know that this was primarily a technical player at the Oscars, and I can definitely see why. But I will say, I, I know this is like probably a common boring critique with a movie like this is three hours, but really, I, I think it could have been a lot shorter. I personally would cut down on that stuff in the beginning and focus on the real basics of the plot. I know Christian disagrees, so we'll get to that. But that's what I think. I think I will jump in now because I feel the same. Um, I don't know. I'm the person that's just like, keep it simple. Cut the meat, cut the fat. I don't know. But like, I, it, and it feels sacrilegious to say that about a Bergman film. Um, but I agree, the acting, perfect. Um, this was a movie I had to do in pieces, which I don't like to do, but sometimes circumstances call for that. Um, which may have affected my overall feeling. I don't know, but I'm sure I'll revisit it someday anyway. But I I really liked the the as I liked the aspects of you really focusing on as it's a it's a it's a theme that's personal to me of why do we need to punish children? Um. And clearly, since this is autobiographical, I didn't even like read into anything like that beforehand, but I really caught that on. I was like, oh, this is his story. Um, mm -hmm. Which also, because it led into that, I was like, I don't know. Maybe I wanted it more subtle in that way because I'm like, I get it. You have a big imagination. But, uh, I, but yeah, I do like the movie. I don't find it a masterpiece, but maybe future viewings will prove me wrong. I would also even, probably the next time I see this, I would watch the even more delusion just mm -hmm. to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, I also agree. I think the grandmother is my favorite. I think she was my favorite performance. All right, now to the floor for Christian who will <laughs> take daggers out of our eyes. So you're both wrong, okay. So this film is sublime okay I don't say that for everything and I'm not just bullshitting myself into saying this because this is a very popular movie I loved this I loved it the first time that I saw it way back when I was having my Bergman phase which sounds like such a fucking film bro thing to say um but again because of that class Brett and I took I was like I really like this guy let me let me watch some more Bergman shit. And I watched this. I don't even know in what context because, it, again, three hours, Swedish film. But last night I was like, oh, I'm going to definitely like break this apart too. But it kept going and going. And poor Toby, I felt so bad for him. But I was like, well, we're almost halfway through. Might as well just keep going. Um, 
but no, I loved it. I, it kept me on the edge of my seat. Um, especially once it does get into the latter half with the Bishop, um, as their new evil stepfather. And I liked that it was evil stepfather, not evil stepmother thing. Um, sure about the Christmas stuff. I do wonder how that works when it is the five hour miniseries, mm-hmm. because that's like the first episode. But I was also remembering the deer hunter, which opens up with like a similar hour long wedding sequence. And then like the Godfather, which opens up with not only saying like, you know, I know Zay's opinion on the Godfather, so we can just stop right there with the looks. Um, but that opens with like a 40 minute sequence at a wedding. So I don't know, maybe Bergman was like inspired by that. But the rest of it, yes, very beautiful to look at. The grandmother's name, by the way, is Goon Walgren. Um, and she plays, yes, grandmother Helen. There's also um, Ewan, uh, Ewan Froling, who is the mother Mm-hmm. in this who's also great and then the bishop is jean mal Mamsio as bishop edward and he's actually still alive which very much surprised me so as well as the mother um goon walgren though more of a famous swedish actress but also knowing the fact that that could have been ingrid bergman in that role i was like wait oh that would have been nice but no i really love this i think it's um the three-hour version anyway I will say the only reason why I don't give this the full five stars, um, and this is my second watching, is because I can tell when there's a lot of gaps in this movie, um, the theatrical release here, I can tell the plot holes that should be filled once you do sit down and say like, hey, yeah, I'll watch this five hour thing. Um, But that's not the fault of anybody, but whatever company was like, hey, cut this down for a modest theatrical release you know we're not tv here but other than that i think it's again it's great it's one of bergman's best um i do like a lot of his early stuff but this being like the so-called swan song although he did make more after this this is just like this is it and i was also looking at my um personal director winners which might give you a hint as to who mine is but between this and like kurosawa doing ron in 85 where you have like these two very famous Mm -hmm. elderly statesmen of international features doing like these very large, huge epics of their own right. One being on the fields of Japan in battle and the other being a look at childhood and the imagination and some struggles with it. It's like, yeah, this is like, this is what I want out of old directors near in the end. You know, I want like this great last big epic, but that's me, as you can tell, Christian very much loved this. I also was very intrigued with, I didn't expect uh, flatulence jokes in Bergman. And that was, that was good. That was. I guess in the five hour version that uncle has a lot more fleshed out than just the farts. (laughs) See, Why did did I think you were going to say he had more fleshed out farts? See, I, that was part of my problem, not the flashlight joke. That seemed as awesome. But like, that was part of my problem at the beginning hour plus was that I'm not going to lie. I thought that uncle and the uncle that like has sex with the maid and she gets pregnant. I thought they were the same person. Not going to lie. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe the, like you said, the miniseries fleshes them out more, but I had trouble distinguishing between some of the characters in the beginning. Well, you can watch this next time with a Rosen Island lens and be like, that's Uncle Hingleblotter. Yeah, that's, there you Uncle go. Sven. That's, that's uh, what is it? Big Sven and Big Sven 2, just like Jaws <laughs> and Jaws 2. I also w- would like to uh, 
um, invoke one of my favorite tweets of recent where it was like the Batman, the new Batman movie is almost three hours. What are the villains? Fanny and Alexander? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> God. And okay, Fanny looked to me like one of the, I don't know, one of the people in ABBA, but I don't know if I know who ABBA is outside of like Mamma Mia. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> Maybe she just looked like standard Swedish girl number one. I don't know. <laughs> Excuse me, Swedish last number one. Oh my god. What I will give this film is that sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, directors, even the most distinguished, will make these movies about their childhood or their adolescent years. And it is so like, I don't know. I don't know if pretentious is the right word, like overstuffed. Like, Are we talking about licorice pizza right now? I was thinking like Fellini with Amar Accord. Uh, okay. Like I'm not a fan of that movie and it's kind of something similar. I, I like this one because I think it does something different. Like with, he brings in the, the aspects of like child memory and the, the ghost sequences. It made it feel like something more to me. So I do give it a lot of credit for that. My one, okay, my one question for you too, because I did not understand. Maybe this is the five hour situation, but when their mother's friend is getting them into the little the chest and escaping with them, and then he's like, you, you're trying to take my children. He runs up the stairs and they're sitting on the floor with the mother, like, don't touch them. What the fuck is that scene? I don't know. I was going to ask you all. I, I thought I missed because something. I looked, I looked up and the only thing I could find was like, oh, it just might be the imagination of Alexander. And I'm like, what? How does that make any sense? Like, I get he's an imaginative boy, but I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what was going on there either. I have no answers. No, no. I still love the damn thing. Again, <laughs> the, you know what? This is a very beautiful movie too. The set pieces on this, oh, yeah. it's like... Yeah the thing I was thinking, any one of these candles on the Christmas tree falls and this house is engulfed. <laughs> like, there's so much stuff in this in this set, but it's so pretty to look at. And then like the grand, ugh, it just, I don't know. I love, I really appreciated this. I have a birthday coming up and I would like this, so. Well, this did get four wins um, for cinematography, art direction, costume design, and foreign language film. Um, it also got nominated for best director and best original screenplay. I did read that, you know, at the time, this could not be eligible for best picture because the rule was that if it, if a country submitted it for best foreign language film, it could not be nominated for best picture. So... I which it's, that's a really stupid thing. I'm glad they they threw it out the window, but I can't help but wonder. Maybe I if mean, it was eligible, that's. I would think so, but which is weird because didn't like cries and whispers get nominated, and that's technically from Sweden also. But did they submit did they it? submit it for foreign language film? Uh, cries and whispers. Yeah. Uh, oh, look at that. True. Guess not. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it was not for best picture. I don't know. They have such weird rules on that international thing. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, which the Globes still do that. So, yeah. So who? <laughs> All right. Well, any final thoughts on Fanny and Alexander before going to our next one? It's great. Don't listen to these two. I didn't say, I don't think either of us disliked it. I gave it four stars. It's a, it's a really good movie. Uh, Let's cut it down a little bit. All right. Well, I'm going to go on to our next one, which was the second one that I picked. Oh, um, the laugh right of the century right here. <laughs> whatever. Uh, it is one that I had actually not heard of before I started looking at movies from this year. And it was just one that kind of intrigued me. Um, so I picked it. And it is Local Hero. Um, part of the reason it intrigued me is that it's in the Criterion Collection. And when I picked it, I did not realize that this was a comedy. Uh, a dry comedy at that. But I did not realize that it was a comedy. I thought it was going to be like a, like a drama about like environmentalism and things like that. Um, but what it is, is lead character played by Peter Riegert um, is Mac entire. He goes by Mac and he is this big executive for Knox oil and gas in Texas. Um, and the, the CEO, I believe of that company is played by Burt Lancaster and he sends Mac off to a, a, a little coastal town in the Scottish Highlands to basically check it out and negotiate a deal to buy all the land there for their new oil refinery. And what it comes about as is it's like a lot of different conflicts of what people want to happen here. So obviously Mac just wants to get the job done. Um, Lancaster's character is like really interested in astronomy and seems to have some ulterior motives there, which come about later. You have, um, a scientist who works there and she really wants this to become like a biological research center. The townspeople, you think that, oh, we want to preserve, like we're not going to sell. No, they want to, they want to sell it. They want to be gone. They're tired of working here. They're tired of this rundown place. They don't really see the value in it anymore. They're like, give us all the money. We'll leave. No problem. Um, as Matt goes along, he is the one who kind of starts to see the, the beauty of this little town and the like slow, way of life that they have and um, just comes across some really interesting people along the way. I say this is a comedy. I think it's funny. It's not laugh out loud funny, but it's just like little dry little things that happen that I guess maybe I just didn't expect it. Um, my, not my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this movie is like, or things about is the way it kind of makes fun of Texas. Um, like there's a scene where they're all answering the phones. And they're like, thanks for calling Knox oil and gas. And they have like the most elaborate, ridiculous Texas accents ever. That's hilarious. Um, this was a Scottish film, so it kind of makes sense, but I don't know. I, I think I, I like this idea of, you know, it's not necessarily saying that this Matt guy is undergoing a huge character change or anything like that. It's just that a story of someone like taking time to slow down and enjoy the more beautiful and slower things in life. Um, which I think is necessary sometimes to slow down and, and like take it easy and enjoy things. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it while also just the different conflicts that come about because of everything. So I did not expect you all to like this movie. 
I thought maybe you'd like it a little more once I realized it was not just a straightforward drama, but we'll see. Whoa, you were wrong, Brett. I'm kidding. It's fine. I don't, I didn't feel strongly one way or the other. And when I like got done watching, I like went through like different reviews on Letterboxd and I was like, oh, this is like people's favorite movie for some of them. And I was just like, I get it. I can see how it is. It just felt too slight to me. And that slightness kind of, I don't know. I guess I just wasn't on the film's wavelength. Fair. But, and it, it, it kind of had that kind of story that I like, I I saw what was happening and I kind of figured out pretty quickly. Um, not that the, the film really it relies on the plot for anything really it is the characters and the characters are charming enough but i was just like mm, it's just not i think i i had heard of the movie it was actually in my watch list um because someone i think i listened to some podcast where someone said there was a movie they loved so it's it's definitely someone's flavor just not mine um this is a movie <laughs> which I was promised involved Burt Lancaster considering he's at the front of the poster and uh, I was not given enough Burt Lancaster. I was thinking he'd be the main character and yet he was not. Instead, I got some guy who evidently was in the mask, which I'm like, where have I seen this man before? Um, But I didn't care for this at all. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what I was getting into. I don't look these things up. If I don't know it, I'm like, oh, let me just be mildly entertained. But I don't know what to say about it because I didn't care about it. So I will say the telephone booth scene was cute. That was very nice. You know, anytime Burt Lancaster's on the screen, I'm like, hey, there he is. That's it. Yeah, I can't believe the poster didn't consist of Peter Riegert, Dennis Lawson, and Fulton McKay. Some big name stars there to put on that poster. Does it? Because I just saw the Burt Lancaster and I was like, hey, he's the main <laughs> character. <laughs> they were like, we got to get them to watch this movie somehow. <laughs> I, I literally had to sell this on Toby. I was like, Burt Lancaster's in it. He goes to an, a small town and he becomes a local. He becomes a hero. <laughs> And I didn't get any of that. Instead, however, and Zay knows this because I texted you, we get an episode of the Golden Girls entitled Yokel Hero. Thank you. Um, there's also Paddington direct uh, Paddington actor Peter Capaldi in here. Oh my god, yes, oh. he is in this. I mean, I, I think he did something else, but I don't know, Paddington. Yep. I liked him in this. I thought he was good. I don't know. I, this is really interesting. Cause I feel like Christian, you, it was not what you were expecting and you disliked it. That made you dislike it more me. It was not what I was expecting. I, I think I liked it more for that. Not that I, I was not expecting to dislike it. I was just expecting like a, a drama and it's, it's little charms kind of snuck up on me. Um, I feel like I was expecting the full Monty type brand of um, UK comedy you know fair i do agree with you zay i i thought the the ending was like 
very convenience and and something that you kind of see coming from a mile away. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But yeah, this was my pick that did not get any Oscar nominations. So um, no Oscar It feels Oscar like one of those there. movies that if Twitter was around, Twitter was like, oh, what if this got a nomination? Wouldn't that be crazy? Like secretly hoping their favorite movie of the year gets a surprise <laughs> nomination. However, yes. it did get that BAFTA win for director. It See? did. Yeah. This was their Kristen Stewart. It's except Kristen Stewart didn't get in. I mean, this didn't get in. Kristen Stewart did get in. All right. Well, any further thoughts on Local Hero? It's a movie. It's a movie. It is on Criterion. It is. All right. Christian, do you have our next one? So take us away. Oh, there. wow. Should I do this in an accent? No. I okay. actually go for it. It's probably better than Al Pacino's, honestly. Oh, so. my God. Okay. Wait, so. wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I just made a development. What? This makes sense. They weren't going to make this movie until the producer won a BAFTA for Cham um, Chariots of Fire. <laughs> This is such a Chariots of Fire movie. What, Local Hero? Yes. But you hated <laughs> Chariots of Fire. Exactly. I, you liked this one. You thought it was okay. Yeah, I liked it. I said it's a movie. It's a different flavor of Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, Fire is like cinnamon candy. I hate cinnamon candy. But, oh. but this was like... This is like a cinnamon cookie. I'll eat a cinnamon cookie, but I don't like it. <laughs> What's a cinnamon cookie? You know, not a snickerdoodle. I love snickerdoodles. I was going to say that's the only cinnamon cookie I could think of. Yeah, same. I think I have like a, like a spicy cinnamon cookie. I don't know. Anyway, Scarface. Brett and I went to an ice cream place the other day and they had cinnamon ice cream. And I, I want to go back just to try and see what that tastes like. I saw that too. Oh, right. I like cinnamon stuff, but cinnamon ice cream, uh, that doesn't sound great to me. Anyway, we're going to talk about the 1980s cinnamon cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> so, is accent or no? That's, up, that's up to you. That's, that's a personal choice. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to do it so as we don't offend people here, like this movie tends to do. Anyway, so we're talking about every college boy's fucking movie poster on the wall of a movie they probably haven't even seen for whatever reason i mean who cares anyway this is scarface um it's directed by brian de palma which is every film bros jerk off person i don't know that's all i ever hear does he even do anything anymore i don't know who's oh, brian de palma what? He, he released one like in 2018 or 19 he really mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh yeah, he did. What do you know? Brian De Palma, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Anyway, this is Scarface. If you don't know the plot of it, I mean, again, you're probably a college person, but it is about Tony Montana played by Al Pacino in a very, um, this is, is this supposed to be funny? Is this supposed to be Jared Leto in House of Gucci type role? Because it borders on that. Um, very much. But anyway, he is a Cuban refugee because in 1980, 
Fidel Castro was like, yeah, the Cubans, my people, they can go over and see their family. But then a lot of them stayed because Fidel also sent over drugs. And in this case, cocaine is like our big deal here. But anyway, he's a made drug lord who starts from the bottom and gets to the very top. Um, he's very ruthless. He kill anybody in his way. He has a nice lady wife named Elvira, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Is this her first movie? I don't think so. I think she had something before this. It's what makes her a star, though. Um, and he also has his friend Manny, played by Stephen Bauer, who I actually really liked in this as well. But anyway, it is just Tony Mon- Montana's rise to the top to be the best drug lord there ever was in Miami, selling it to Golden Girls if he wants, selling it to beachgoers, selling it to other drug lords. Um, it's three fucking hours long, and it feels like it. Okay. Oh, Grease 2. She was in Grease 2 before school. Oh, excuse Please. me if I don't care for the Grease <laughs> cinematic universe. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the most famous thing in here is the say hello to my little friend where he shoots anybody in sight. I mean, what's to say about this movie, except it's about a dude selling drugs and people in 1983, well, in retrospect, it wasn't like a big, huge success at the time. It over time became like a pop cultural thing, you know, where we know the poster. Um, there's just been many, many marketing things over the poster. This is a remake. I am sure that the remake is not the same thing. Um yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. It's fine in certain places. I don't know if I like Al Pacino a whole lot in this. I think I might. But again, he borders on this is a goofy, goofy performance, very miscast. And I know he's only here because he has that gangster type persona because of the being the godfather, um, just because of other things that he's also done. I don't know. But yeah, this is Scarface. I did not expect Zay to like this because I don't think you did the first time. And Brett, I was full on expecting you to like this. So plot twist there. So the first time I saw it, I borderline hated it. But then I then rewatching it now, I'm I don't like it for sure. Uh, I definitely still stay dislike if anything. Um I agree with the Al Pacino thing. I think he's having fun. I think that translates into the role. Uh, I don't think that necessarily makes it good. Definitely, I agree, miscast for obvious reasons. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, I, I think she's doing great. I think there's an element to her that she is the newcomer, but she's really holding her own. Um, I think it's funny, actually, how this is like a, some sort of cultural touchstone for like, machismo masculine guys because i've seen like people at work who are just wearing scarface like hoodies or whatever mm-hmm. and i'm like are you idolizing him because like he's a it's a the, the story's a tragedy of this guy who went all the way to the top and then falls and b i mean implicitly and then almost explicitly towards the end he wants to fuck his sister like <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I don't understand, like, I, I, this is just like, oh, couldn't happen to me. I'd do it different, but he's still a cool guy because he got all that money. He had a tiger. Um, I don't know. I don't understand the cultural, like, obsession with the movie. I don't, I don't know. 
Um, Even Sophia and the Golden Girls for one of their Christmases, she rents Scarface, but she doesn't get to watch it because they got to go serve food at the shelter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A very Golden Girls heavy episode today. Um, It's the 80s. That's true. Um, So, yeah, I'm like, it's not the worst movie in the world. It's vastly overrated, though. I will say before Brett goes that like the cult, the pop cultural thing, I'm just looking at its legacy section on Wikipedia. Um, It, I mean, it's number eight on the top 50 cult films, which I don't know how you would classify a cult film these days with this being such a prevalent thing. You know, I think at some point it's just no longer a cult film and it's just solidified back in the culture. Yeah, I mean, yeah. say hello to my little friend, which I've heard old so much in other capacities on AFI and yeah, I don't know, just other cultural things with this. And again, like every bro in college has a poster or something. That's I've heard that stereotype before. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's gonna be a fucking remake of this. My God, just stop. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard for me to see. I get it didn't make much money, but it's hard for me to characterize a 1983 movie starring Al Pacino as a cult film. That, I don't know. That's weird to me. Plus, it made 66 million. mm, So, like, that's... Like, it didn't make it... It didn't make an insane amount of money based on it's, like, it's a 23 to 37 million budget. Mm. But, like, for the 80s, that still made the money back. Yeah. So, yeah, even then, yeah, I... Yeah, it's weird that this is considered a cult film. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I agree with pretty much a lot. Everything has been said. I, I don't hate the movie, but I definitely don't like it. Um, I, I think Al Pacino's straight up awful. Like, I, I, I think he's just bad in this role. Um, and that, I'm not saying anything about Al Pacino as an actor. We know he's a great actor. And we know he can play like big out there, loud roles. I mean, Dog Day Afternoon, he's excellent in that movie. And Jack and Jill. <laughs> Jack and Jill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I just think he's awful here. And I, granted, I don't know that the script helps him a ton, but like you've got obviously got the accent. You've got that. Not only does he have the accent and he's playing a Cuban, but he's just feeding into like every stereotype. But even beyond that, he just like he has these weird manners and things where like he's always doing this thing with his lips and he's like, yeah, tough guy. We don't even know how Tony got this way. He just like shows up that way and never changes at all throughout the movie. And that's a big part of why I don't like it, because I don't have a problem with movies about bad people. In fact, I love those movies sometimes. My problem is when there's like nothing to them other than them being bad. Um this character has no depth whatsoever. We don't know a thing about him other than he came from Cuba and he's a bad guy. Um, and it never, it, it takes three hours to tell this story and it never goes any deeper than that. And that's probably the biggest thing for me is it wants to be like this big character study and it doesn't study him at all. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, you put it perfectly. It's about a guy who gets rich and then falls and that's all there is to it we needed three hours to learn that i mean come on um, um we that also, also that the, also the development listen. of him wanting to fuck his sister that oh yeah 
And that and, also feels like to me, Oliver Stone, because uh, he wrote this, he didn't direct yeah. it. And yes, to everybody out there, I know who Brian De Palma is, I'm joking. Um, but being pretentious as he is, to me, he's a pretentious guy. Yeah, I don't know. I I agree. I think Michelle Pfeiffer's good here. I, she is not in it as much as I thought she would be. Uh, I like his friend in this too. Yeah, I agree with that too, actually. I, I think Stephen Bauer is really good in this movie. Um, so yeah, it, it's not that they're all awful or anything like that. I The film definitely has its moments. I think it's shot pretty well. Um, I yeah, like... The Palma knows where to put a camera. Yeah, you know, it, it's shot well. The production design's good. I, I like the way it... What's that? The music is good. Music's good. Oh, yeah. The Giorgio Moroder. Mm. Yeah, it, it it places itself in 1980s Miami in kind of a cool way, um, though kind of a stereotypical way at times. But it's just the structure, the screenplay, the very bare bones of it is not good. And that brings down everything else. So... I don't know. I really don't know how else to put it. That That's all there is to me, which feels weird to say about such a long movie. And like you said, Christian, I expected to like this. Um, I honestly thought I might be the one defending it on here, but no, <laughs> I, it, it's, I don't think it's a good movie and it's definitely, I don't, yeah, I don't see why it has such a big reputation. Anybody out there listening, it's on Peacock, but I mean, at what cost? It feels it's like Fanny and Alexander to me anyway, did not totally feel the three hours. This felt the three hours. Yeah, There was was that part where he's with his sister and his mother to which I literally had to turn to Toby. And I'm like, is this an ex lover? Who is this? (laughs) And Toby loves this movie or he likes it, but he's like, that's his sister. I'm like, I don't know this. Like how long has this been? Yeah, I made the mistake. I should have watched Fanny and Alexander when I had the time to watch something in full like that. Because that's what I did with Scarface. And I'm like, I should have just put this one in the, like, the cut it up and watch pieces of it. So I apologize to Ingmar Bergman for my faux pas. He challenges you to a game of death with death. I mean, a game of chess with death. <laughs> game of death with chess. There you go. I will say, I, I read that Martin Scorsese really likes this movie, and oh. Marty, Marty, you made Goodfellas, okay? Like, that. come on. Like, yeah, all right. You did way better, so. Can I say two fun facts? Yeah, go for it. I missed the days we did fun facts. Anyway, I was going to say one fun fact, but then this one was right above it, and I was like, you're fucking shitting me. Al Pacino used Meryl Streep's portrayal in Sophie's Choice as inspiration for his portrayal of Tony. <laughs> What? <laughs> like what? what was it wasn't Sophie's Choice 82? Yes. So he like walked out of the theater and was like, oh yeah, that's Tony. <laughs> he was like choosing between <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer and his own sister. Like, what what's the is that the Sophie? Oh my god. And then the other thing is like the Liza Minnelli connection of this movie. <laughs> And it says the entertainment industry initially hated the film when they had a, a post. Oh, no. What was it? Oh, at a post screening meal, Liza told Al Pacino, what are you done to leave the insiders subdued? <laughs> and then it says Manelli had not even seen the film at the time. <laughs> he just happened to be there for the free meal. Oh, my God. We need to treasure that woman. Oh, we still have her. 
Also, mm. I guess too, this gave us the introduction of a film that frequently used the the fuck word, <laughs> the <laughs> word fuck. <laughs> I almost said the f word, but then I remembered we get slapped at that adult content warning. Anyway. <laughs> I have seen. I have said much worse things than fuck. <laughs> anyway, this movie gave us that where it's like constantly used. And now it's like uh, it's like 200 in this movie. I mean, it's not the record anymore. I but. think that makes no. sense because, like, I feel like Martin Scorsese. Mar- oh, wow, we're all messing up. Martin Scorsese was probably very influenced by Scarface to make The Wolf of Wall Street. I think I could see that. I can see that. I granted, I think personally, Wolf of Wall Street is a great movie. But when I thought yes. of Michelle Pfeiffer, I thought of Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that scorned wife of a drug lord business asshole. Well, like when he starts using his own supply, you can definitely see parallels there. But yes, that's Scarface. Um, no Oscar noms. Um, I, I'm I'm low-key surprised they didn't hand one to Pacino, to be completely honest. But that's like saying to Lady Gaga for House of Gucci. They almost did. Not really that close. <laughs> any further thoughts on that before going on to our next one it's i have it on steelbook so <laughs> and it comes with the original one in there I, and I, I know we'll be watching the original one because it's eligible for one coming up all right well zay you've got our next one so go ahead and take us Do away I? there hold on uh if you thought okay. if you thought that was fun, just wait till the nuclear fallout. And I'm not just talking about the current state of the world. Uh, <laughs> Until the film gets dark. Jesus. No, I only know that because the kids are going to come back to school and be like, Mr. Ramos, what? I'll be like, shut up. Just watch <laughs> the movie. Oh my God. Oh, you're showing Silkwood to the kids? No. I can watch Ron's Wonderful choice. <laughs> so, anyway, our next film is Silkwood, directed by the incomparable Mike Nichols, uh, written by, well, okay, Nora, Nora Ephron and Alice Arlen, based on the real life case of um, Karen Silkwood who it was uh, I need to find out where it was uh, near Oklahoma okay so Karen Silkwood played by Meryl Streep with her lesbian roommate Dolly played by Cher and her boyfriend played by Kurt Russell they work at a nuclear f- facility making a box fuel rods MOX fuel rods um, and basically, it's a film centering around how this plant is not safe for the workers and how uh, Meryl Streep plays Karen Silkwood, how Karen is becoming more and more invested with trying to keep, like, she's more invested in keeping everyone safe after she witnesses her friend and coworker uh, getting. Um, um, they get in contact with the radiation and so she has to take like a very invasive very uncomfortable uh, bath to get rid of the radiation and 
the more Karen Silkwood gets involved in this stuff, the more it seems like she's under the radar of some higher power that wants to shut her down. Um, and it's just a very, it's based on a real life case. I, after doing some research, I found some things where I'm like, the movie absolutely took some liberties. Um, I mean, I didn't go super in depth. I didn't go like super researchy, but I went through here and there. Um, but it's definitely like kind of like a conspiracy theory kind of movie of what happened to this woman who was trying to get some more safety protocols for this place. Um, and Meryl Streep is great in this. This is one of her great performances, I think. Uh, this is how Cher started to become recognized as a serious actress. Uh, Kurt Russell's hot, um, is also doing a very good job though. Definitely leaving like the Disney of his career and the like action-y stuff in his career behind. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, and a kind of like, it's more of a, it's a mainstream kind of role. Cher plays a lesbian. Um, I do, I have a theory that Meryl Streep's character was also supposed to be a lesbian because like they were roommates. And I looked into it and I could not find anything that said that Kurt Russell's character is based on a real person. Um, I could be wrong. I, again, I did not do the most research, but I tried to see if he was based on someone and nothing came up. Um, I did think I looked more into the um, Cher's character. So she's called Dolly in the movie, but her real name is Dusty Ellis. Uh, they paid her over $60,000 for her likeness, which I thought was nice, because I don't think that's the norm. Um, and one time she held up an entire nursing home hostage because she felt one of the people living there was not getting fair treatment. So she is a wild card and I, I want her like spinoff movie. Yeah, there's a Silkwood. Um, has one of the scariest endings to a movie, I believe. Um, Meryl Streep saw Al Pacino's role as Tony Montana and said, that's how Karen Silkwood is. Could you imagine if she had an accent in this? <laughs> Sure, he does. She has a little Texas draw. I guess, yeah. I meant more like a. <laughs> okay. uh, God. Um, I love this movie. I've always really loved this movie. Zay knows that. Mm-hmm. Now you all know that. But yes, it is very, very good. Um, if you're into like conspiracy type things, since this is a true story, and then definitely look up the actual story afterwards. But. Um, Mike Nichols and then of course Nora Ephron and Alice Arlen's screenplay to this is just like amazing excellent also read the Mike Nichols biography A Life that came out last year because I read that really appreciated him a lot a lot more Um, this is where he became good friends with Meryl Streep and they would go on to I mean be really great friends also make Angels in America together yeah and he's since passed but great filmmaker like zay said already meryl kurt and Cher are incredible in this i think it's also very well edited um 
if we talked about editing and gave our personal awards for that, I believe I have it up there as like my winner or at least a nomination. Let me see. Cause I have it. Oh no, I have it as my winner. Yeah. And especially the scenes where she comes into the contamination part of it all, where the sirens are going off. And the, there's one part where the camera does like a like an entire 360 in the hallway with her. And you see just the panic in her face. My God, that's just like really great. Um, yeah. And Meryl, this is her great. This is one of her greatest roles, I think, along this and Sophie's Choice. Because that's one of my personal favorites of hers. But yeah, I really appreciate it. And the one thing that I will say about Cher's character also, other than the fact that her lesbian friend is Christina from Mommy Dearest, it is, and I told this to Zay, I, I was always under the impression that she sold Silkwood out for whatever reason. Because there's a scene in the plane with her and Kurt Russell and Cher. And she's like, did you tell anybody we were going to here? And Cher's like, no, I didn't. And she just like looks all like shady drinking her drink. And I'm like, wait, did she do, is something going to happen because of Cher? Did Cher send Silkwood to her death? So. That's an, spoiler I don't know what that is. Cause I'm like reading up on the actual person and she was very much also like, I feel like the, the movie downplays her role in helping with because she was definitely very much assist, like the real life person was assisting Karen with the like getting mm. more support yeah. and stuff. So I, I, yeah, that's a weird thing in the movie. I don't know. Yeah, because like, like you said, if there was a movie about the actual Dusty Ellis, it'd be probably really good because you get to know a lot more about her because mm-hmm. she did a, a shit ton more than what this movie paints her as. Yeah, just a. Uh, uh, a lesbian roommate who is in love with Karen, but Karen doesn't love her back. So she's like jilted for most of the movie. A tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah, I so when I saw I hadn't seen it, of course, and when I saw I really liked it, but of all the movies we've watched, I think as time goes on since I've seen it, it's been a couple weeks, I like it more. Um, it, it's one that's definitely stuck with me. I think a lot of that is because, like you said, Zay, the ending. Um, the ending is really haunting, and you know, I, I, I knew the the basics of the story of Karen Silkwood and um, the mysteries abound with that. But even with that, you don't know how it's going to present that, and the way it does is really, really good, really effective, um, and really. Uh, gosh, it's a gut punch. Um, that ending is so, um, yeah, I, I agree with Meryl Streep in particular. She's phenomenal in this movie. Um, so good because like, and part of it is because Karen Silkwood is, is not a celebrity, like not a huge, like public figure that, that people have seen on TV and stuff, but it doesn't really necessarily feel like just a biopic performance to me. Um, and that's part of the why the movie works, because you all know I, I get really tired of biopics. This one, you know, it is and it does have some of that, that feeling to it, as it should in some ways. But at the end, it just kind of feels like a story um, and in some ways a character study, which I really enjoyed. So, yeah, Meryl Streep is phenomenal. This year for Best Actress is just total I, I mean, it's wild. I mean, because you got her, Deborah Winger, Shirley MacLaine. We have another one coming up we're going to talk about. I mean, it's just absurd how great um, some of these performances are. And hers is right up there. 
Um, and yeah, I really liked Cher as well. I, I agree. I, I wish there was more of her and she was given more to do because I really think that's a role that she does really good in, but she really could have lit up if, if given more of that. Um, I don't know. It's, I really also just like, it, it's a movie that's set in Oklahoma and I, I really enjoyed the kind of authentic local feel to it. Um, it was filmed in New Mexico, but you know, close enough. Well, I, I, I guess what I mean is that it feels, it does feel like it was shot in a small town and that it has those sentiments in a way that like, like Tender Mercies does too, but this one does that yet still feels cinematic to me in a way that Tender Mercies necessarily doesn't necessarily feel. But um, I don't know, just, I, I feel like it understands its characters in that way. Um, and that these are not perfect people. They've got a Confederate flag hanging over their, their bed, but it, it's like, it understands them complex people. Um, and it doesn't try to always defend them and everything they do. And I like that. I, I think that's just Mike Nichols as a director. Um, he obviously knew what he was doing. So I have the Roger Ebert quote pulled up that says it's a little amazing that established movie stars like Streep, Russell, and Cher could disappear so completely into the everyday lives of these characters and I think definitely speaks to their abilities but also Mike Nichols' ability as a director to tone them down because yeah. we've seen all of them be able to do acting that's so over the top but all of this is so grounded yeah absolutely and that's and that's I mean if you read the Mike Nichols book too because um that's him really knowing how to work with his actors too mm -hmm. because uh, at this time and i i had forgotten this this is his first film in eight years if you don't count guild alive because that was a filmed on broadway situation but between 75 and this he was just strictly doing theater work mm -hmm. and i think that's also where he had met meryl because he had directed her in theater production but that's like going back to Ebert's thing where they get so absorbed into these characters. And I also personally think this is a good time for these kind of conspiracy biopic things um, because you also have this, you have around this time, Norma Ray, like mm -hmm. the China syndrome, um, a movie called missing from 82 that I recently saw like last year, but yeah, it's like, this is, this is the peak moment where they're serious enough for us to really invest in this, to believe it. And then it's like, nowadays, this would be so silly. And then you probably enter like a Christian aspect in this too, where it end with a song of like Amazing Grace, which I mean, never mind. <laughs> Doesn't this end with that? You know what I mean? Some Christian yeah. music. And we're not talking about my it's, music. It's a very somber <laughs> rendition of Amazing Grace. Yeah. But it yeah. yeah. I, um, yeah, I was thinking while watching this, I was like, this wouldn't be made today. They would just make this into... A five-episode miniseries documentary on Netflix. God. Um, I also wanted to point out that we have not talked about the AFI in a minute and their incredible lists. Uh, the questionable uh, 100 years, 100 heroes and villains list. Karen Silkwood at number 47. I just... That's what she died for, for that number 47. <laughs> they put these real-life people on that fucking list. So weird. Is Hitler not number one? <laughs> I mean, triumph of the will. Hitler and triumph of the will, yeah. Hold on. I need to, I need to find out if... Because, like... I don't know. Hold on. Hitler is not on the list. Wow. 
<laughs> anyway, um, but I think even more so tone deaf is the film is number 66 on AFI's 100 years, 100 cheers list. Oh no. And what I'm are you like, hearing about? This is oh. an inspirational film. She, she got murdered. <laughs> can, like, I say, can I say it sits between the day the earth stood still and a raisin in the sun? <laughs> what a wild twist. <laughs> wow. Who does Karen sit betwixt? She sits betwixt, oh, she sits betwixt the Terminator himself <laughs> and Michael Keaton's Batman. Stop. Yes. Stop <laughs> oh my God. No, but yeah, I, I, I would say sit with this one. I don't know if it's just me, but for me, if we had recorded this right after I watched it, I wouldn't have been as into it because I, I think I, at the time I felt it it took a while to get into, but like, as I reflect on it more, it's like, ah, oh, it, was, it was setting the scene really well. Um, so it really has, it's gotten better for me as I've sat on it. So that, yeah, just take that. And if you had, I first sit on it. Very excited to revisit it. So I hadn't seen it since 2015. It was like one of the first movies I like put on my letterboxd. Um, and when I knew we were doing this year, I was like, oh, we're gonna rewatch Silkwood. And then the, the podcast kept been moved back. And I was like, oh, I just want to watch Silkwood. <laughs> but it's fine. We got here. And I rewatched it. And it's still great. Should I go over what it won? Yes, or absolutely. Nominated for? I think it was just nominated. Yes. Uh, five Oscar noms. For director Mike Nichols, actress Meryl Streep, supporting actress Cher, original screenplay, and film editing. This is another case of like should have gotten in more than likely. Yeah, because it got right more there. nominations than the Big Chill, didn't it? That's the one, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like if I could take out the dresser and I could take out the Big Chill and replace it with Fanny and Alexander just to complete that, and then Silkwood just to complete that, because they both have director names to them. That'd be a perfect. It, that'd it, be a five, not a perfect, but it'd be a great five. It literally got the. F- like the four other areas that align with best picture director acting nomination screenplay editing they're all there the only one it misses picture uh it, it it yeah it's very interesting how this all should go but yes any final thoughts on silkwood before our final movie is it on streaming i rented it's it from the back on I'm not physical sure. media it's i know it was uh finally released on blu-ray in 2017 yeah because it was out of print and i bought the share collection just so i could have it this is the weirdest movie because they like you cannot find it streaming anywhere and it's one that's like it should be somewhere yeah hmm. but you know what you can't even rent it on amazon go buy it just buy the damn movie or pirate it i guess they don't want the money that's my that's what i think yeah, All right. <laughs> Christian, would you like to, to take us away on our final movie? Okay, yeah, here we go. So this is one where if Zay was like, I want to see Silkwood, I want to see, I want to see this one, even though I'm not like the hugest fan of it, but because it's of who it is. Presenting the one, the only Babs is Yentl. That's all you need to know. You know who Babs is. 
Okay. <laughs> so anyway, Miss Streisand. Is it Streisand? I don't know. Licorice Pizza fucked me up with that whole situation. Okay. No, I just saw I just Streisand. saw last night. Stop this. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Barbara Streisand directs herself as Yentl. And she is a young, I mean, she's supposed to be like a teenager in this, but come on. <laughs> um, a young Jewish woman in the early 1900s in Poland. Her father is a rabbi and he secretly teaches her the Torah or the, what did they call it here? The Talmud or the Torah. Um, but it's very much the Hasidic Jewish text of how to be a, a rabbi or how to really study the word of God, how to be a good Jew, but only boys and men can learn this, but she's a woman. So that's why it's in secret. Her father passes away, but now without him in her presence, even though she really, you know, she prays that Papa, can you hear me? Papa, do you see me? That's all I can really sing from those words or else we'll get sued. But she travels to, let me make sure I get these words right here. A uh, Jewish religious school, but as a boy, what? She does boy drag. Yes. Um, she disguises herself as a boy to enter into this Jewish school so she can actually learn more about her faith, to learn more about herself through her faith. She's very educated in all of this. She surprises one student, Avigdor, played by Mandy Patinkin, famous Broadway star at the time. Now, I mean, like famous star in his own right. Um, and his fiance, Hadas, played by Amy Irving, and just befriends them, and they just get to know one another, learn about what it's like to be really a person. I would say Yentl was more of a sheltered person. I mean, she doesn't really have anybody in her life but her father and herself. As a woman, she did not have much rights to go out and live a life other than going out to talk to other women in her community and going back home and helping her father and learning from that. But it's just basically all about how she wants to be more than what she is perceived as. And the only way to do this is to dress as a, and dress and present as a male in this really all male dominant world. This is a musical also because we're talking about Barbara Streisand here. So she has to sing. The really surprising thing that I always forget about is she sings every single song in this movie. There are no fancy duets. There are no soliloquies from other characters. She sings every single song because this is her movie through and through. Um, I like it. I don't particularly love it as much. I think she does a good job directing herself and this whole thing. I. <laughs> I do tend to get a little bored sometimes through it all, just with the more deeper talks of faith and being and everything else. I like the more humorous aspects of this, especially when Yentl's being set up with other women as she's presented as a boy in this. Um, I do like the backstory as well to her not being nominated for an Oscar for directing because she did win the Globe. And up until what, last year? She was the only female director to ever win the Golden Globe for director. And then a bunch of her gays, because, you know, we are in numbers, picketed the Oscars. <laughs> it's like, okay, interesting. But yeah, this is Yentl, and she is directing the hell out of herself. And she gives a look. The woman knows how to light somebody because she had a light herself here. Okay, this is some quality lighting because she knows for a damn fact, I ain't gonna get this wrong. I'm lighting my damn self. I'm doing this from my angles that I look good at. So there you go. And she also wanted to do this way back in the 60s after Funny Girl, 
So that would have been something. But it had taken until the 80s when she could convincingly play a teenager. <laughs> I mean, a woman so powerful, she not only flipped Oprah's entire set around, she also spray painted the mic. So she knows what looks good on her. I guess she would be an expert on other people as well. You know, watching this, I was like, wait a minute. She shot this from the good angle, from the angle that every time she's on an interview, she makes sure that she's sitting in that right seat. Mm -hmm. Because didn't she also, besides the Oprah thing, during carpool karaoke, she made James Corden fly to London. So they're driving on the opposite side of the road to film her correctly. I think so, yes. Yes. (laughs) I will give her that. She knows how to shoot a movie based on her own looks. Um. But I think it's surprising. I think I might like this movie more than you, Christian. Oh, again, yes, surprising. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, I was just very, um, I was very enticed by the gender play in this. I think, which is very much a me thing to be obsessed with in a movie. Because I'm like, oh, so what's his name is like, fi- like really falling for her, and I'm like, so he's a little gay. And then like, but then like, she's kind of, is she falling for Hadass? And I'm like, she's a little gay. (laughs) But I'm like, no, y'all, y'all three can just get together and be like, kind of bisexual with all each other. And that's, that's cool. I'm fine with that. Um, So I like that. I do, I do agree that the whole age thing is a little weird, but like, I don't know. I mean, the drag of it all, I think it works. And yeah i i like the weird like like the lighting is so specific that it it like it's not sepia tone but it's just so like yellowy that it's like almost there and i like that i think it adds like a very specific like we're recalling this tale of yentl did you also Um, read why she shot specific scenes i did not because I guess she feels she felt or she feels that her, one side of her face is more masculine and one side is more feminine. So when she's in boy drag, it's shot from that specific masculine angle versus when she's gentle. See, and her mind is so out there. I yeah. love it. Because like she, she went into filmmaking with her own ideas about it. And I think that provides such an interesting way with the films she's made not that i i don't because hmm. she directed this the mirror has two faces which i have not seen the third one is hold on hold on she didn't direct guilt trip prince of tides prince of tides oh my prince god of tides, that's it brett brett okay. you i know <laughs> so have you <laughs> okay so this is my old this is so far the only direct movie she's directed that i've seen i mean i've also saw stars born but that she wasn't credited but she basically directed that um never seen the prince of tides i guess not no we'll have to change that <laughs> um i mean definitely the way i really love this movie i think i shall also go more into this because I don't know. I really liked it. And I had some of the songs just stuck in my head, especially Papa, Can You Hear Me? <laughs> um, before Brett speaks, I just want to say, uh, first of all, Papa, Can You Hear Me does win my original song over any of the Flashdance songs um, for the time being. I don't know. I love me a musical number. 
But I honestly feel if Barbara Streisand was still directing movies today, they would probably be pretty good because, I mean, The Mirror has two faces. The story itself is meh, but she does know how to direct. And that's, I mean, I think that's from her experience of working with other directors who, instead of just being the actress on set, she's also constantly being like, how do you do this? Oh, okay. That's what it is. Because one of the last shots in this movie, when she's seeing Corner of the Sky on the boat, is a direct shot of Don't Rain on My Parade in Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. It's, the camera, it's the camera, yeah, panning back, and she's like on the boat on the very edge of it. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a second. Yeah, I I enjoyed this one. I it's very middle of the road for me. I I do agree. I, I think Streisand, you know, is a very good director and knows exactly what she wants to do here and achieves that. Zero um, percent chance it's a musical unless she's doing it. Um, but it's kind of interesting how she takes that route. And I did like some of the songs. Some of them, I think, were maybe a little bit tedious, um, like when it gives like her inner thoughts and whatnot, because I'm like, I can kind of see this in your like silent actions. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want all the music there all the time but i can see why she did it um kind of similar to fanny and alexander i really liked you know some of the performances here obviously barbara is obviously like very committed to the role and um something that you can tell she was very passionate about and i think that does come through but i really liked mandy pattenkin too um mm-hmm. ku alum mandy pattenkin so it's patinkin. is it patinkin it's Patinkin. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I don't like look up name pronunciations. So, um, Mandy Patinkin. Um, it- <laughs> it's, a, it's a Broadway thing. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, I think Mandy Patinkin is actually really good in this movie. Um, and I think his character is, is given a lot to really dissect as well. Um, and the whole dynamic between, him and Yentl is really fascinating, um, especially when you consider where Yentl comes from and that she doesn't really have a whole lot of interest in love. Um, and she kind of finds that by doing something that she does love. And I also like the direction they take because uh, it's maybe not what I would have expected earlier on in the movie. So I like the way it goes with that. That said, I kind of agree with you, Christian. There were some points in this movie where I was just kind of like, sitting mildly and waiting to like get on with it uh got a little bit dull at times but that said i always enjoyed it i i never you know disliked the movie and i think like some of the others we talked about it's a period piece and i think it represents that really well with the sets and the costumes and all of that is very top notch um and so yeah it's just kind of it's kind of middle of the road for me honestly Hmm. Um, like I said, the, the gays came out and uh, protested the Oscars because she didn't get nominated for this. But big question, should she have been nominated? I, I spoiler, I personally don't nominate her. That said, she won a damn Golden Globe right. for directing this. So like, yeah, she should have been nominated if it's just weird that she wasn't. And also, it's like between this and the Prince of Tides, because she wasn't nominated for Prince of Tides either. 
Yeah. It's like, why do they, why do they hate her? Cause that's a great, I love the Prince of Tides. Prince of Tides. She absolutely should have been nominated for. Yeah. Right. Should I go over its noms and wins? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So it did win something. It won best score. Although let me see, what is it called? It's called best original song score and its adaptation or adaptation score. And that was won by Michael Legrand and Alan and Marilyn Bergman um, Alan and Marilyn Bergman writing a lot of her famous Barbara songs from like the seventies, including the way we were. And Marilyn actually just passed away in January of this year. Um, but it was also nominated for Amy Irving for supporting actress, which also the Razzies nominated her for worst supporting actress, but they also nominated Barbara for worst actor, not actress, actor, and also nominated for art direction and best original song for Papa, Can You Hear Me? And the way he makes me feel, which for the longest time before ever seeing this, I was like, oh, like the way he makes me feel, <laughs> way he turns me on, which easily could have worked in this as well. <laughs> but this did win the Globe for motion picture, musical or comedy and Barbara won. So it is kind of sad. But then again, we're talking about the Globes that it took until last year for another woman to win director and then again this year but i mean the globes are just they're idiots so yeah any final thoughts on yentl before going on to our honorable mentions yentl did not make a 100 um cheers wow yeah couldn't beat out so good for that honor that's fascinating you know there hasn't been a 100 years 100 musicals there's been like an honorary musicals list i'm just saying like a top 10 yeah yeah all right well we do have a pretty good list of honorable and dishonorable mentions here as well as a special feature returning um which we will get to so uh we will go down the list here feel free to say any thoughts you have about these first one we have here is a blade in the dark Oh, Christian, why'd you add these? Because I, I will go. Okay, go through them and delete, and then we'll get to them. Because I didn't know. I literally told you today to delete them. Okay, start with the next one, then, Brett, and I'll <laughs> I'll I'll riff. Okay. Well, the, the next one, I'm sure we have definitely have some thoughts yeah, yeah. on. That is a Christmas story, one that I honestly would have picked to watch if it had been the Christmas season. I as originally planned. As originally planned. Um, I really enjoy a Christmas story. I'm not gonna lie. I love it. There are definitely like issues, obviously, but I don't know. It's a tradition and I think it's awesome. I never used to like it until like only a few years ago when constantly it's pushed down your throat every Christmas, even Christmas day on TV. And then I'm like, you know what? I like this movie. It's pretty good. And then there's a musical version, which I mean, Christian loves me a musical and it has, there's a live filmed version of it and it's great. So this made me love this one even more. I just like how it like spoofs that era um, and kind of pokes fun at it. Um, takes the place in like the forties. So isn't the house in your neck of the woods, dear Zay? Uh, the actual house. I don't like, not the house used in the movie, but like the actual house that the author grew up in. Yes. Mm. Gotcha. 
next we have. Wow. Read the whole thing. Wow. Brainstorm and the murder of Natalie Wood by Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. <laughs> Glad you made Brett read that with no context. <laughs> Did not see that coming. There's Did a whole you, podcast I, about it. Did you see this? I've never seen this. I only know about the murder. Oh, yeah, I saw Same. it. It's, Christopher Walken's just bored. <laughs> and Natalie Wood's in it. She's not very remarkable in it. I don't think anyone wanted to make this movie. And that's why she was murdered by Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. Who were probably having a gay love affair. Oh. What's the podcast called? I want, I want to listen to this. Uh, Didn't her sister make it? Natalie Wood podcast. I don't think her sister made it. The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. Mm, oh, okay. well, that's easy to remember. Okay. Uh, next, we have Christine. One I thought about watching, but I didn't get to. Uh, it's a movie where a boy falls in love with his car. Teton! Teton! <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't remember Christine. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> next, we have City of Pirates. An insane movie that feels like a dream. I, don't, I didn't know what I was going in. And coming out of it, I still don't know what it's about. It's fun. All right. Uh, next, we have Cujo. My dearly, my dearly departed dog paid attention to this movie one time and I got very scared. <laughs> he was taking but notes. It, I know. It is a good movie, though. And Dee Wallace, she comes here a lot in town because she's from here in Kansas City. And I'm, well, who was, who? oh, when I went to go see Stephen King speak once, he was like, Dee Wallace should have been nominated for Cujo. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I have not seen Cujo, but my mom has said that that's the movie that scared her when she was a kid. See, I love that. I had never seen Cujo until like a couple weeks ago. And I love just finding a new movie that kind of like scarred a generation. Because <laughs> I feel like this is one of those movies. Yeah. Because I watched VH1's I Love the 80s. And they all talked about how, you know, I think we as a society fell when we stopped having VH1 I Love the Decade series. <laughs> You know what? We had I Love the New Millennium and then nothing. They didn't even finish it. Oh, interesting. And then it was the I Love the 2000s ending in 2009. Nothing else. Damn. Hmm. And now it's all RuPaul and Mean Girls on that channel. <laughs> all right. Next we have The Dead Zone. Another Stephen King? Yes. Another Stephen King? There's, There's a, a lot of them. Thick, this year. Wow. Thick Stephen King songs. I do not like this movie. And it, I think it's because I do not like the book. The book is very boring. I'm not a fan of this movie either. Uh, it's Christopher Walken again. <laughs> and I think as much as I love David Cronenberg, and we'll talk more about him in a second, I think he's asleep at the wheel on this one. Mm. Yeah. I don't think he's passionate I, about it. Because I had seen this before and I liked it. And then I read the book and I was like, wait a minute. And then rewatching it, it's like, oh no, this is, this is how I feel about the book. All right. Next, we have Educating Rita, which I was going to watch for Julie Walters, but then I saw that both of you were meh on it. So I was like, a yeah, dull, I'm good. dull ass movie that Julie Walters just kind of saves every time she comes on screen. She's nominated for it, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fine. Next, we have Eyes of Fire. 
this is a random movie I found on Shutter that I didn't even know was from 1983, and that I loved it. It's kind of like The Witch, but 80s. All right. Next is Flashdance. This movie has no plot except for it's like an hour and a half long music video. And I love that. Like, I, I, I wish there was more dancing, honestly, because that was my favorite part. Like, once it goes oh, back yeah. to the plot around that, I was like, what the hell is happening? You just go back, dance, go dance, go dance. The dancing's by far the best part of the movie. Yeah. Um, I will say this. Hold on. Because, let me see. Yeah, this is, oddly enough, my cinematography winner. <laughs> oh, Oh, yeah. I, it, I mean, I, I yeah. don't know, but because it looks like a very nice hour and a half long music video. <laughs> I will say there is no standout cinematography winner this year. So I understand that. Mm, I would I disagree with our next movie we're about to. Okay. Talk about. Well, I haven't seen this one. The yeah. Hunger is Tony Scott. So it's very style, no substance. <laughs> but I love it's so sexy with Catherine De- Deneview and Susan Sarandon and David Bowie, vampires questioning their existence. Mm. Don't they always question their existence? Yeah, well, this one is doing it in also a dramatic European way. All right. Next, we have Love Letters. Uh, Love Letters is a movie starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Roger Corman produced it, and it has... Oh, Amy. She directed the Slumber Party Massacre. And this was like her movie before that. It's just, it's really interesting movie. No, it was after, it was the movie she did after Amy Holden Jones. So this is the movie she did after Slumber Party Massacre. It's very pulpy, very interesting. And Jamie Lee Curtis is very interesting in it. Very nice. Uh, next, we have Mickey's Christmas Carol. How can you go wrong with this? No, it's so it's nice. very good. This is probably on the, the list. This is the first one I've seen on this list. Uh, two or three. Yeah, same. <laughs> on a VHS that I think my parents took from Family Video and never returned. It's very good. I like. I love it quite a bit. Uh, next, we have Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. This movie's so fucking funny. Oh my god. There's like a joke or two that doesn't like age well, but overall, good shit. All right. Next is Miss. Wait, is there any songs in that? Yes. Or there's it... there's a song, I think. Okay. It's it's not always looking the bright side of life. Oh, this is the song with the sperm. The sperm song. <laughs> oh, okay. I remember now. Different Monty Python I'm thinking of. <laughs> Next, we have Mr. Mom. Progressive for like Ooh. the 80s, kind of, because I don't know, stay at home dad. I don't know, Michael Keaton looks good in this movie. So, <laughs> um, to clarify, every sperm is sacred. And if I was voting for the Oscars best song, this might be my best song. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but I watched Mr. Mom in high school, I think it was my sociology class. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Next up is My Brother's Wedding. A film by Charles. Um, Charles Burnett. I wanted to double check. Good indie film. Perfect. 
like one of the few black films of this year that I could oh. find. Not not a lot. The eighties were a little too racist. Yeah, rough time. Next is the 007 film from the year, Octopussy. I don't remember it. I just wanted to hear you say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next we have um, Francis Ford Coppola, one of the movies he directed this year, The Outsiders. Very uh, underrated. It's actually, I really like it. Um, did y'all have to read the book in middle school? Of course. It's so good. I didn't read the book until college, actually. And it was a required reading for my young adult class. Very nice. Eighth grade. Yeah, I really like the book and I really like the movie, too. Uh, next up is Psycho 2. I mean, Norman Goes Home. <laughs> Which is like, we're really going to milk this, aren't we? Oh, poor Anthony Perkins. <laughs> and the fact Vera Miles is also in this, like, yeah. girl... They needed the they needed the money. Next, we have Return of the Jedi, the solid one of the original Star Wars trilogy. I would say. I bet if Brett would have known a local hero was, he would have picked this for us to watch. <laughs> no, this one, not yeah. It, it's a good Star. Wars. It's fine. I quite but, like. Next, we have Right of Way. This is... Zay, did you see this? I did not. Okay. Well, this is a movie that Toby and I discovered um, a few years ago, but it is Betty Davis and James Stewart. Mm. And let me just read the brief plot. An elderly, long-married couple who must decide how to deal with the situation of one of them being diagnosed with a terminal illness. And spoiler alert, they say, hey, let's just kill ourselves. Comedy ensues. It's a TV movie of the week, but and it's on YouTube and it's good, but it's also sad. I'm very fascinated by this. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's I mean, we discovered it when we were looking at like Betty Davis movies a few years ago. And yeah, I think Toby has her on his like personal list. I don't know if I do, but yeah. All right. Uh, next, we have Risky Business, Tom Cruise and Rebecca De Mornay. Uh, I think it's a fun movie. I saw it for the first time last year and I enjoyed it. Haven't seen it. The dance scene is all you need to know. <laughs> Next is Rumblefish, a movie that I saw and enjoyed. And I said, Christian is going to hate this. And in fact, Christian. It was there. <laughs> I had no idea what it was. It's also Francis Ford Coppola. I did not know what to expect whatsoever. It's so him it's saying, hey, I can do experimental stuff too. Yes, Watch it's me. more experimental. Yes. Also based on an Essie Hinton novel, just like The Outsiders. So he did like two of those in the same year. And she was very involved with both. So uh, there we go. <laughs> Next up, a very interesting movie, Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> I enjoyed I it. I, I can't believe you watched it. I actually plan on watching this one for a long time because I remember, Zay, I think you tweeted something about it a while back. Uh, something, I can't remember what you well, said, said about it. But I said only queer people can like it. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> no, Get I did enjoy you. it. The I ending... mean, I'm not saying, it's just so many cis people make it really weird and I'm like, 
you're the reason why this movie happened and i'm like we're gonna reclaim this mm. don't <laughs> that's fair were you shocked at the ending without giving it away oh yeah okay. oh yeah because yeah. everybody who sees this, I didn't know what it was going to be. No, me either. I'm glad I didn't. No, because you think you know what it's going to be. Right. And you think that's all there is to it. And then it's like, oh, okay. It was but... one of the two great moments of my life last year watching this film. Leave me alone. <laughs> Mine was the, 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 the chili pot incident. That's my favorite part of the movie. Oh, my God. That kid, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, next, we have Something Wicked This Way Comes. A Disney movie? They want to bury so bad. It is kind of fucked up. Like, Ooh. for a children's movie, there's some things in there where I'm like, if I was a child seeing this, I'd be kind of scared. All right. Next, we have Star 80, which I almost watched simply because it was a Bob Fosse movie. Did not know it was about Dorothy Stratton until Christian informed me of that literally yesterday. So now I'm even more fascinated. Kind of wish I had seen it, but it's fine. I mean, I was gonna watch it, but then the library DVD didn't work. It was on TCM not too long ago, also. All right, next we have Trading Places. Uh, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. Um, oh my God, Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there's a lot of age jokes in this. Um, um yeah. there's a whole yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, other than that, I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, I, honestly, I think when when he's doing the good stuff, I think Eddie Murphy's awesome in it. Um, and the bear was peak Murphy. Yeah, and Jamie the, Lee won the BAFTA too for this. Oh, right. That doesn't sound incorrect. I have no idea. Yes, for Trading Places, for which she received the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, good for her. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. No, she's getting it too. Yeah, if you... The, the plot itself is is interesting and whatnot, and yeah, some of it hasn't aged well, but it, it has its moments. If you do watch it, just watch it during Christmas because it is a Christmas movie. Yes. Uh, next we have To Be or Not To Be. It's not as good as the original, but you get to see Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft do like their only film that they ever did together, which is super sweet. And the beginning of it is funny when they're talking in Polish and they're literally like, hey, let's change the language here. And then uh, see, that's it. the problem. That was my favorite gag. But then they don't do another joke like that. And I was like, I kind of wish that was the energy for the whole movie. But the also, the also weird part of it is like Mel Brooks did not direct it, even though it is it is his movie. It's like a his feeling movie the whole way through. Yeah, oh, it's weird. I I liked it. I just I would definitely prefer to see the original. Next we have Twilight Zone the movie which Christian subtitled The Murder. So let me get to the movie aspect of it first okay. and they of course <laughs> chime in as well. But it is just what it's like three adaptations of Twilight Zone episodes one by uh George Miller. Who? who? Oh, there's George Miller. George Miller. There's Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, who does the kick the can one, which is like the most boring one of the group. And it's like, Spielberg, you could have did anything and you did this one. And then George Miller does the last one, right? He did, he did the 10,000. Uh, yeah, Nightmare 10,000 with uh, 
John Lithgow. Mm -hmm. And it's actually super terrifying. I will give it that. So, I mean, this movie fucked me up as a kid. Um, The intro scene with Dan Aykroyd, and I can't remember who else, fucked me up. (laughs) But if Zay, I know you know the story of the murder. Fucking John Landis. That it? Okay, basically. I I thought you were good. (laughs) Oh, okay. John Landis. There's a whole helicopter situation with the first segment where something went wrong with the helicopter and killed the lead actor, who is also, who's the lady from The Hateful Eight who got nominated for the Oscar? Jennifer Jason Jason Lee. Lee. Her father. Her father got killed and two children got killed. And then John Landis was like, I'm not at fault. And then everybody else determined he's not at fault. And then it's like, are you fucking kidding me? He's at fault here. He out Baldwin himself somehow. (laughs) Jesus. And it's because of that and other things too. Um, the, The Brandon and the Brandon Lee thing from The Crow. That like all the laws are put in the place and the safety, which is why when the whole Alec Baldwin situation came out, those two incidents really got in the forefront because this is like a big fucking thing. Like three deaths happened and the director's just like, eh, not my fault. But it's a good movie. That's fine. I think the George Miller one is the strongest. Yeah, it's that's the scariest one. All right, a lot going on behind the scenes this year. Um, next, we have National Lampoon's Vacation, which this is my first time seeing it in like I don't know how long. Uh, definitely not as funny as I remembered it being. Aren't you um, from where Cousin Eddie's from? I am. Yeah, uh, Cousin Eddie grew up. 10 miles from my hometown or that's where he lived so they have a gift shop and everything there which i've never oh, been in do they, really? they do yeah oh my god uh, i i rewatched. well i didn't rewatch the whole thing but i saw like the first half with my family last year sometime and i was like oh this movie's so mean-spirited it is it's just so it made me feel bad i'm like this isn't funny the scene with the dog is especially bad um yeah, I will say, I'll be honest, I think Chevy Chase is really funny in these movies, and I really like what he does with it, but yeah, Christmas it hasn't va- aged well. Christmas Vacation is like, yes, yeah. I guess he was in town last year, too, where they watched it and they talked about it with him. Oh. So, yeah. All right, well, next we have David Cronenberg's Videodrome. This movie uh, me up. It's a masterpiece. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, check that one out. I go in knowing very little. Uh, next, we have another one I wanted to get to, didn't get to it, War Games. Um, it's too weirdly close to home right now for you know certain aspects of it, but very uh, close to home for certain aspects of it from the 1980s and stars young Matthew Broderick. Mm who I know some of us have feelings over him. You know, you should just do, like, a whole, like, montage of me saying, fuck Matthew Broderick. <laughs> There's a, just Google, just Google. There's a Wikipedia section over why. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Zay has a little song for us. Yes. Okay, so I lied. I don't, it's not rhyming anymore because I couldn't make it rhyme very well. Okay, let's go on to our personal wins. <laughs> 
But this is the sequel to the 1981 where I listed all of the horror movies I had watched for 1981. These are all the horror movies I saw for 1983. Some of these were mentioned already, but I'm not going to re-edit myself now. Um, Thriller is the best music video of all time. Came out this year. Angst is one of the scummiest things I've ever witnessed. Video drama is incredibly gross and fucked up in the best way. Of, hum of unknown origin has a single rat problem. It's kind of like the arachnophobia, but the rat version. Um, we have two zones this year, the Twilight Zone, the movie, and the Dead Zone. Sequels, we have Psycho 2, not as good as the Masterpiece, and some in 3D. The Amityville one with Lori Laughlin and Jaws 3D, and I think that one's very underrated. Um, then the classic problematic fave, Sleepaway Camp. Eyes of Fire is an incredible demo tape of Robert Eggers' The Witch. Rotten gems include Blood Beat with a Midwest Samurai Ghost, Sledgehammer, Mad Mutilator, and Sweet Sixteen, a slasher with weird native mysticism. Uh, Cujo somehow made a St. Bernard terrifying. Sexy, 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 moody atmosphere in The Hunger. Sexy, sexy, alien worms in The Deadly Spawn. The horror version of All About Eve is called Curtains. Uh, horror icons Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Desi Arnaz Jr. in an okay movie called House of the Long Shadows. Uh, the most what-the-fuck film goes to the boxer's omen, a Hong Kong film. And dishonorable mentions to A Blade in the Dark, She-Wolf, Lift, Sins of Dorian Gray, a gender-flipped version of Dorian Gray, um, Mausoleum, Martyrary, The Keep, and Conquest. I just want to say that both Brett and I, I could see our hands moving when you said the Desi Arnaz, Vincent Price, and Christopher Lee, and we both went... <laughs> very nice Love there's a lot comes out. yes i did that one better because i wrote well it all done. down in, in preparation yes all right well honorable dishonorable mentions that feature um check some of those out those sound interesting to you are we ready to go into our personal awards for the year yes all right Christian, do you want to start? Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Adapted screenplay. Here we go. At number five, I have Yentl. At number four, I have The Right Stuff. At number three, I have A Christmas Story because it's based on a short story, I believe. Mm -hmm. At number two, I have The Outsiders. And my winner is Terms of Endearment. This is very interesting because I have all the same nominations, just in a different order. Ooh. Number five, The Outsiders. Number four, The Right Stuff. Three, A Christmas Story. Two, Terms of Endearment. And one, to Yentl. I have almost the same. I just switched the S.E. Hinton adaptations. Oh, you fool. I just, <laughs> the dialogue in The Outsiders is the one thing that brings it down. It's like pretty rough a lot of times. So, but my number five is Rumblefish. My number four is Yentl. Number three, A Christmas Story. Number two, The Right Stuff. And number one, Terms of Endearment. Nice. All right. Original screenplay. We, were, we all had five. We all have five here. Yep. All right. We're the 80s. We should have five. Okay. At number five, Mr. Mom. Number four, Videodrome. Number three, War Games. Number two, Fanny and Alexander. And my winner is Silkwood. Okay. Uh, my number five is My Brother's Wedding. Number four is Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Number three, Silkwood. Number two, Videodrome. And number one, Born in Flames for me. All right. 
My number five is Videodrome. Number four, Tender Mercies. Number three, Fanny and Alexander. Number two, Christian's favorite local hero. And number one, I have Silkwood. Hey. Okay. Supporting performance. I have 10. Uh, number 10, I have Jeff Daniels for Terms of Endearment. Number nine, I have the Emperor himself, Ian McDiarmid, for Return of the Jedi. Good, good. Okay. At number eight, I have Darren McGavin, who's the father from A Christmas Story, or I guess the old man, as he's actually <laughs> labeled. Number seven, I have Cher Hole for Silkwood. <laughs> Thank you. At number six, I have Dennis Quaid is here for The Right Stuff. At number five, I have Ua Froling for Fanny and Alexander. At number four, I have Goon Walgren for Fanny and Alexander. So Ua was the mother and Goon is the grandmother. At number three, I have Melinda Dillon for A Christmas Story, who's the mother. At number two, I have Jean Malmushjo, who's the bishop in Fanny and Alexander. Excuse the name there. Jean, if you're listening, hello. Or... Uh, Guten Morgen, or yeah, <laughs> a good dog. It's good dog. Yeah. That's what it is. Because I know from the producers too. Morning, and my sir. my winner for best supporting actor is good old Jack for Terms of Endearment, a true supporting performance. Mm. Okay, so my ten are number ten, Billy D. Williams for last uh the the. The, the Star Wars movie. Wow. Um, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I almost said The Last Jedi, and that's what stopped that, that I had to stop. Uh, number nine, David Bowie for The Hunger. Number eight, Kurt Russell for Silkwood. Number seven, Jamie Lee Curtis for Trading Places. Six, Jack Nicholson for Terms of Endearment. Five, Cher for Silkwood. Four, Amy Irving for Yentl. Number three, Deborah Harry for Videodrome. Number two, Darren McGavin for A Christmas Story. And number one, Goon Wogren for Fanny and Alexander. Brett, what's that face? No, I, you're making me think whether I should put someone in or not. Uh, <laughs> make a last minute change. I'm just going to stick with it. I, the dresser, the titular dresser. And I'm not <laughs> talking about Tom Courtney. I'm talking about a wardrobe. No. Uh, there are a lot of ways I could have gone with this, but I'm going to go with this. Okay, so number 10, I have Alan Edwall, who is the, the father in Fanny and Alexander. Uh, number nine, I have Jack for Terms of Endearment. Number eight, I have Sam Shepard for The Right Stuff. Number seven, I have Cher for Silkwood. Number six, Melinda Dillon for A Christmas Story. Number five, Scott Glenn for The Right Stuff. Number four, Mandy Patinkin for Yentl. And here we go. Number three, Ua Froling for Fanny and Alexander. Number two, John Malmsjo for Fanny and Alexander. And number one, Goon Walgren for Fanny and Alexander. Well, who's the one you were wanting to? Darren McGavin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He... yeah. Oh, I forgot. He... I had an honorable mention because I really wanted to give it to the dog who played Cujo. But it turns out six dogs played Cujo, so I didn't feel fair to give an award there. However, one of them apparently was a Labrador that they put into a costume. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. God. Okay. 
All right. Are you ready for this? You might be mad at me. Okay. Oh boy. At number 10, I have James Woods, but don't tell him that because he'll get on me for Videodrome. Number nine, I have D. Wallace for Cujo. Number eight, I have Betty Davis for Right of Way. Number seven, I have Al Pacino for Scarface. <laughs> He's having fun. He's having a weird <laughs> performance, but he's funny. Hey, I had fun when I played baseball in high school, but I still sucked. So, <laughs> yeah. At number six, I have Babs for Yentl. Number five, Michael Keaton for Mr. Mom. Number four, Peter Billingsley for A Christmas Story. Number three, good old Shirley MacLaine in Terms of Endearment. Number two, Meryl for Silkwood. And my winner is Deborah Winger for Terms of Endearment. Okay, so we're going to come into an issue because I... Did I put one or two? Okay, I put one of my people... No, I put... Okay, so each of you had a supporting that I put as a lead. Oh, because number 10, Jeff Daniels for terms. Uh, number nine, Mandy Patinkin for Yentl. Mm, yeah. Uh, eight, Julie Walters for Educating Rita. Seven, Eddie Murphy for Trading Places. Six, Susan Sarandon for The Hunger. Five, Shirley McClane for Terms of Endearment. Four, Barbara Streisand for Yentl. Three, Deborah Weiner for Terms of Endearment. Two, Catherine Denevue for The Hunger. And my number one is Meryl Streep for Silkwood. All right. At number 10, I have Tom Cruise for Risky Business. Nine, James Woods for Videodrome. Eight, Bertil Gouve for Fanny and Alexander. Seven, Chevy Chase for National Lampoon's Vacation. Six, Eddie Murphy for Trading Places. Five, Robert Duvall for Tender Mercies. Uh, four, Barbara Streisand for Yentl. Three, Meryl Streep for Silkwood. Two, Shirley MacLaine for Terms of Endearment. And number one, Deborah Winger for Terms of Endearment. I almost had James, uh, James Woods, but then enough people came into my top. I was like, fuck him. <laughs> he does do a really yeah. good job in that movie, but I'm like, uh, he doesn't need it. Yeah, I had the opposite. I had like, a hard time pinning down my supporting and a tougher time with my lead finding enough. So we on directing. Yes. yes. All right. Number five, I have Philip Kaufman for the right stuff. Number four, I have Babs for Yentl. Number three, I have James L. Brooks for terms of endearment. Number two, Mike Nichols for Silkwood. And last night it came to me in an epiphany. Number one is Ingmar Bergman for Fanny and Alexander. Or as an old professor used to call him, Ingmar Bergman. (laughs) (laughs) My number five is James L. Brooks for Terms of Endearment. Number four, Mike Nichols for Silkwood. Number three, Barbara Streisand for Yentl. Number two, Lizzie Borden for uh, Born in Flames. Uh, Number one, David Cronenberg for Videodrome. Number five, I have Francis Ford Coppola for Rumblefish. Number four, Mike Nichols for Silkwood. Number three, Ingmar Bergman for Fanny and Alexander. Number two, James L. Brooks for Terms of Endearment. And number one, Philip Kaufman for The Right Stuff. Interesting. (laughs) Very interesting. That's the Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt coming out of nowhere thing. (laughs) What? No, I don't know. No. I mean, I'm not as shocked about it. You nominated Philip Kaufman. 
I know, but for him to be your number one, that feels like it came out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, that that movie could have very easily been a very boring, dry depiction of how that story came about. And like the way he brings out the characters and whatnot is top notch. We've all heard the podcast already. Why? So you shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Are we on film? Yes. No. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, Brett. Needs yes, to we're on film. Let out some anger. <laughs> my nominations for best original score. <laughs> my not okay. Top ten. Here we go. Number ten, Yentl. Number nine, The Outsiders. Number eight, Mr. Mom. Number seven, Cujo. Number six, Sleepaway Camp. Number five, A Christmas Story. Number four, Return of the Jedi. Number three, Fanny and Alexander. Number two, Silkwood. And my winner is Terms of Endearment. I hear I saw Brett doing the uh, Return of the Jedi number four is your Jack Nicholson of this podcast. That's <laughs> why I like Star Wars. That's oh, yeah. Well, That's get ready. Because, Star Wars. because we didn't talk about it in depth. OK, because I figured why talk about this if we didn't do 1980 yet, because we'll probably we'll talk about uh, the Empire Strikes Back then. So because Empire Strikes Back is a great movie. Yes. OK, Return of the Jedi. Not. 1983, directed by not George Lucas, some other rondo. You mean to go into depth here? No, no, no. That that's just your that's your Jack Nicholson. That's all I'm saying. Okay, my number ten <laughs> is The Hunger. My number nine, Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Eight, Eyes of Fire. Seven, Terms of Endearment. Six, Return of the Jedi. Ah, <laughs> wow. Five, Love Letters. Four, Yentl. Three Silkwood, two Videodrome, number one, Born in Flames. All right. Well, my number 10 is The Outsiders. Number nine is Tender Mercies. Number eight is Rumblefish. Number seven, Videodrome. Number six, Fanny and Alexander. Number five, Local Hero. Number four, Silkwood. Number three, A Christmas Story. Number two, The Right Stuff. And number one, Terms of Endearment. Wow. I'm actually kind of shocked. Like, I don't, I seriously, I'm not like even joking. It's like, I never in my life would have guessed your favorite film of 1983 was Terms of Endearment. What would you have guessed? The right stuff. Honestly, probably either the right I put it, stuff. I put it above the right stuff in our last podcast. Maybe. Right. But like, Time always, there's always a case where if we'll watch something, maybe it would have been Local Hero for as much as you raved about it. Maybe it was Rumblefish. And then it comes up to be like Terms of Endearment. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. I mean, it's no Return of the Jedi. Oh, <laughs> but like, you know. All right. If, if we, let me just say to end this episode, I mean, we're not, I mean, whatever, but you should wrap it up with a little Ewok song if you can buy the rights to it. Because Is I think- it was the Ewoks we found along the way. Is that the song they use in the movie or in the like straight to VHS Ewok movie they made? It's whatever the, what is it? Yub Yub or something? Theatrical. Oh, was it? That was yeah. theatrical? Yes. Wow. Interesting. Was it feature length? Pretty sure. Did not know that. That's fascinating. All right. Well, yes, 
we will bring this to a close. Thank you as always for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts um, and follow us on all the social media. Thanks again to Joshua Arnaldi for doing our theme music. And Zay, thanks of course for you for joining us again. Uh, any final thoughts from you? Um, my final thought is I lied. They were not theatrical. They were internationally. They were theatrical. That's where where I was. Okay. Uh, my tuned to the live action ones. Yeah, the live action. Live okay, action. I own the cartoon one as a kid. Anyway, my last thoughts are: I will return soon. It's like the ending of a Marvel movie with you. <laughs> they will return. <laughs> Christian, any final thoughts from you? No, but I think my old friend James Mason would like to say a little something. Yes, absolutely. Perfect time for that. Well, not in the next episode, though, chaps, but in the next next episode, I will make my glorious triumphant return. Thank you, James Mason. <laughs> he might that be here for the whole episode. As, right, that gives you a hint as to what it might be about. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next time. Bye. 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 Bye.